Yeah, it'll be fine though. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh Dan Munton Pottercast in three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome to the Pottercast, another episode talking to a buddy of mine, Dr. Dan Munton. And when I knew Dan, he wasn't a doctor back in 1986. Is that when we met, 1986? Yeah, 1986. Uh, it was just after the uh, infamous, uh, you know, Cardinals World Series, Cardinals, <laughs> Kansas City Royals World Series a few years before. So, yeah. <laughs> the 85 World <laughs> Series, that's what marks it. So, so for those of you who aren't baseball fans, I'm from Kansas City. Dan's from Effingham, Illinois, but and which is right outside of St. Louis. Grew up a huge Cardinal fan. Cardinals obviously have won way more World Series, more pennants, everything. They're a, a dynasty, a great, a great championship baseball team. But in 85, the Royals beat them in the World Series. Some say that there was a bad call that was the whole reason they won. But anyway, Dan and I met, um, gosh, shortly thereafter. It would have been it would have been um August of uh, 86, so less than a year later. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And Cardinal fans, by the way, it's arguable whether or not the Royals actually won the game. We we stop at game <laughs> five, I think it is. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dinkinger. He, Don Dinkinger made a really, really bad call. I think it was game six, right? He made a really bad call. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. we had to win game seven and the Royals Royals killed him in game seven. But I, anyway. Yeah, I, th I think you run ruled us. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, we met out at Grand Canyon College at the time. And then you, we we only like, you're only there for a year, right? Like, like walk everybody through yeah. your, your, like your yeah. progression to becoming a doctor. Cause you, you yeah, showed up at Grand Canyon one. to play some yeah. baseball and then yeah. boom, a year later you were gone. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I'm going to call Ferris, uh, Ferris, Michael Ferris a few times in this, in this uh, podcast, That's but fine. Ferris looks like Matthew Broderick. So he played the actor Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's day off. When we first met, he looked exactly like him so when i first saw him i said your nickname can be ferris so i started that and uh his friends from that era of college don't call him ferris so if i slip and i try and say michael because that's his now his his real <laughs> name i guess but anyway but if you hear me say ferris that's why but yeah my no, given started... name the name my mom gave me is michael the name dan <laughs> gave me is ferris <laughs> that's right ferris so yeah so anyway i know uh, i went to grand canyon university i went there uh to play baseball went on a, a baseball scholarship back in 1986 they had just come off a, a nai national championship they were Really, honestly, I mean, if we look back at it, they were pretty much a baseball school. You went there to try and get uh, drafted or you went there to try and get really looked at hard. And so it was really at the time, get a lot of guys get drafted. There were guys like, uh, oh, Tim Salmon is probably the most notable that came out of there. But there was our shortstop made at John Patterson uh, shortly thereafter, a guy named Chad Curtis, a bunch of really good uh, pitchers too, Kevin Wickander, shortstop Darren Duffy, a bunch of really good players. So uh, I went there to play baseball and uh, get an education. And about a, uh, they, we, I think we played because we had a, we played Tim and I, Tim Sam and I played JV and varsity. And so we were playing about 150 games that year between fall and spring. <laughs> so uh, Tim uh, had crazy. a much better, yeah, Tim went on to have an uh, you know, illustrious career in the big leagues at 300 home runs. He probably uh, thought that was fine. But at, at some point in time, I'm like, man, if I really want to try and do something other than baseball, it's going to be very, very difficult at Grand Canyon University. I, Said that to the coaches who were very baseball oriented, uh, and they uh, they they said if you want to go do the pre med thing, we understand, but uh, we probably can't do that here. Can't do lab classes and play baseball. 
they said it in not so kind terms, in fact. But yeah, you're being really nice of how they yeah, said it. Yeah, I am. It. I am. Yeah. I think so, it was but something anyway. similar to I didn't bring you here to go to no classes. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, brought you here to play ball. Something to something that like effect. That. Yeah, yeah. So but anyway, I decided to go pre-med. I, I just, and uh, to do that, I, I transferred to another school called Southwest Baptist University and uh, met my eventual lovely wife there and was pre-med. It was a much uh, less intense baseball program. Still enjoyed my time playing there. Then I went back for a year of Division One baseball at Hardin-Simmons University out in Abilene, Texas, where my wife at that time was getting her a master's degree in um, family psychology. So I finished my pre-med at Grand Canyon, played a year of Division One baseball there. And then I went to UT Southwestern Medical School and did that for four years. Then, um, you know, then you do in medical school, you you do internship, residency, fellowship. It goes on and on and on. But forever. That's, that's a long. That was, that's and you don't make hardly any money, right? I mean, I mean, no, you don't make no, hardly no, any no. money. With no, you go the wrong direction. In fact, medical school is extremely expensive. Yeah, no fair show. You're definitely right. It's kind of like you, know, you and being an actor. It's a tough gig trying to get in, man. You're not making a lot of money. And got to do what you got to do. And luckily I had a wife who was very supportive and helpful. And she worked a job at Buckner's Children's Home, which is a children's home in Dallas. And then she uh, led a, uh, our church, First Baptist Dallas, had a pregnancy resource center that she was the director of. And she did that to put me through medical school. And yeah, no, we had meager times, man. I remember going to happy hours and ordering uh, water and nachos because that was all we could afford. And their nachos were free. So, yeah, no. yeah you, 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 I remember when we were in college, this is back. I mean, I see kids in college now and they're, they're always going out. My kids, they're always going out. They're doing everything. You know, they're going out to eat all the time. I remember we went to church with my <laughs> uncle Don and he was yeah. like, I'm going to take you guys out to lunch. We're like, this is oh, awesome. My uncle's yeah. going to buy us lunch. Yeah. And he took us to Biddulph Honda, which is a Honda dealership, <laughs> because every Sunday afternoon they yes. gave free Cokes and free hot dogs. <laughs> and he 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 bought every car he had from there. So they knew him. So they were like, hey, Don, hey, you want a bar yeah. burger or a dog? Yeah. And that was how he bought us. But but we would go to places like that that were doing freebies yeah. when we were in college. I, I remember you and I fair saving up 69 cents to get a hoagie from a guy, place called uh, Hanks, right? Was it Hanks? Hanks. Yeah, let's Hanks, go to yeah. Hanks. That was like a yeah. treat, man. Yeah, 33rd and Camelback, man. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah we that was there, a yeah. treat. 69, 69 cents. So so going back to this, 150 games, that's 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 basically more than I mean, that's more than minor leagues play at times, right? I think they play 138 or something like that. I think yeah, just so you can let people know that now that was in AI, so they played fall and spring in in NCAA division one. I, I think you're allowed three games in the fall you can do scrimmages within the team but like three games in the fall and yeah. i think you get 55 or 56 during yeah. the season that's it <laughs> yeah yeah 56. no we played double headers almost felt like every day we played double headers you know so uh we would go back and forth so we would play jv and then we'd go up and play varsity and then uh, come back down and play jv and so we would do that all year long and so it really if you didn't have a jv game you had a varsity game you didn't have a varsity game you had a jv game it was Back and forth, and almost always a doubleheader too. That's the thing. You almost always played two sevens, so it was you a guys lot of were, games. You guys were getting up in the morning and like lifting, and then you're going to whatever mm -hmm. classes you could get mm -hmm. in, and then you're like sometimes you're on the field from like twelve noon to like nine. Yeah, the reason I uh, eventually decided to I needed to go elsewhere to be pre med, and Grand Canyon was a great experience. Don't get me wrong; it was a great baseball experience. I mean, met some of my greatest friends, still like Ferris, my my lifelong friends there. So I, I love the experience. But when I decided it wasn't the place for me to be uh, pre-med was when I showed up for a practice at 11. It was like 11.10. I had a, uh, my class was a <laughs> biology class and it was, oh no, it was anatomy class, anatomy class. They had a lab and the lab ended at 11 and I had to be on the field at 11. Had to be at practice. I'm saying at practice, not a game, but at practice. If it had been a game, I just missed the 
missed the class. And so I show up to the practice uh, 10 minutes late. And that's when I had the talk with our head coach. And he was just like, hey, this isn't going to cut it. If you want to go do that, if you want to be, if you want to be pre-med, you can go somewhere else. So, yeah. Didn't they, uh, did you, cause you and Tim were the two freshmen that played varsity and then you both played JV too. Um, but didn't they like at one point call you in and like slide your numbers across the table and then slide Tim's numbers across the table yeah, and say, no, no, say, Hey, yeah. we, we, we'd rather you be up where he is. And now this is Tim Salmon who became a mm-hmm. rookie of the year in the major leagues. <laughs> yeah. Unanimously. I always say unanimously. Yeah. What if you? <laughs> Yeah, no, that was uh, Tim was an amazing player, and so yeah, and and everybody, everyone who's ever played sports realizes that at the end of every season, you have an exit meeting, and that exit meeting, you know, I learned it as I went on, I kind of got used to it, but you are evaluated, and if you're if you're getting a scholarship, they they only have so much money to go around, right? There's a there's a finite piece of pie that they have to split up between all yeah. the players, and typically pitchers are going to get quite a bit because you can't have a good college team without pitchers, and then you're going to have two couple guys like Sam, and they're going to be, you know banging out home runs and then the rest of us got us kind of fight for the scraps and so yeah they slid his stats across and said this is where you need to be i just remember i think his home run total combined was something like 30 or something in a season some ungodly number and i just remember (laughs) thinking so that's the guy i got to live up to and i didn't have bad numbers i remember i hit like 330 or something it wasn't like i had a bad season so i just remember thinking man if that's the guy i got to live up to so when he got the unanimous rookie of the year a few years later i was like oh thank god i knew he was good man <laughs> yeah 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 we had so like eight guys you, go play pro yeah i mean gcu at that time it was grand canyon college and they were they were one of the top if not the top division or nai baseball team every year year in and year out um and they would they would they would go in on weekends and you know beat asu who was the top five team in the country at the time made a man yeah 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 and so it was it was really a baseball factory i mean they ran it almost like a minor league Mm -hmm. program felt like it felt like it tons of i mean tons of kids love that though right because Mm -hmm. you just play ball Mm -hmm. you know and 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 the coaches were great and there were some great players there yeah, we had a, I had a player on the team that had a GPA of zero at Christmas break. I always remember that. <laughs> yeah. And he, we he keep thought, him he eligible. Thought, yeah, he thought GPA stood for girls per athlete. He thought that's what that stood for. He wasn't sure. What, that what that number would have been much higher had he yes. it wouldn't have been zero in his mind. Yes. Yeah. Well, so did you always know, um, like, because you, you you grew up in Effingham and you played everything, you know, baseball, football, all, basketball. Did you know you want, was baseball always the love? Was it always the top sport or was it football? Yeah. Um, you know, I love both. I, I honestly love both. I had a really, really fun experience in high school, played with a quarterback that went on and, and did great things in college. And, and he, he was awesome in high school and he's my best John friend. John Stites. Yeah, John Stites. Yep. And he, uh, we had him on a radio show. Ferris and I did a radio show called Docs and Jocks. We had him on years ago because his quarterback yep. coach was Sean Payton, remember? Yeah. And so, so that's uh, crazy. Yeah. We used to hang out with Sean Payton in his apartment after games. So crazy. But um, <laughs> you yeah, still no, can. We, he doesn't have a job anymore. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Soon to be. Yeah. He's hot demand now. Oh, he but is. We, yeah. But football, I loved it. And I got some football scholarships just mainly because they went recruiting my best friend and I was his wide receiver and he was a quarterback. But, <laughs> But I would, I thought I'm serious about playing in places uh, like a Division three school. I looked at to play both was uh, Wheaton University mm-hmm. College. They offered me, a, they didn't offer, they were Division three, but they uh, invited me to come play football and baseball. So, your but brother I played that, there, right? Yeah, my brother Doug was captain of the football team there two years. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought about there and I thought about a couple other smaller schools. I actually looked at Southwest Baptist to play both before I went to Grand Canyon. But then I decided baseball was, I just loved baseball more. And in football, such a beating, you know, I saw the beating my brother took and, mm-hmm. you know, I lo- you got to love it. And I just thought baseball would be the way to go. It's a good decision long-term, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. Did you, um, I mean, did you always know you wanted to go to medical school? And did you know at some point you'd have to like make a choice between the two or, or how did that Yeah, no, out? I didn't know I'd have to make a choice between the two. And I, I don't, I think I was a little naive on how much college baseball, how much time it was going to take and how, how <laughs> it, of all the sports, and I say this, other sports, other player athletes are going to get upset about this, but I think baseball is the most time consuming sport just because you have such a long fall season, you know. Yeah. Tons of practices. Practices are long. We used to practice. I don't think they allow it now, but we used to practice. We'd be on the field from, oh my gosh, like 11 until, I mean, it was dark. They had the lights on. So whatever time that is. So, you know, eight yeah. hours, nine hours every day. So yeah. I remember I'd have to try and get to the cafeteria. I think the cafeteria closed at like seven or eight. I'd, I'd sometimes make it, sometimes wouldn't. So uh, I don't think I realized how much time it would take in my career as far as uh, if I was going to try and do something academically. I thought I could balance both better, but it was a tough balancing act all the way through even after i left grand canyon went to a school mm -hmm. that didn't have as many hours in time it was still very very difficult i mean you're taking organic chemistry biochemistry and you're up against the top-notch academic people in, in you know in the in the world really a lot of them are trying to make medical school medical school is very competitive was at the time anyway so i was trying to compete with those people to have a gpa that i could get in with so i had to you, you can't just halfway do it a lot of baseball players what happens is they will um you know, just their, their academics suffer. So they end up getting a GPA instead of having a GPA to be competitive to get into medical school, physical therapy, PA school, whatever the competitive school is, they, they suffer. And so then they have to go back and take extra classes after they finish. I've mm -hmm. done that with several young baseball players. They go back and take classes over again to get their GPA up high enough to get in. It's a tough, tough gig. You think the, the, cause you mentioned competition a couple of times. You think the competitive nature of, you know, with your brother's, you know, playing at Effingham, playing baseball in college. You think that helped you when you got into medical school? Hundred percent. I think the other thing that baseball helped me with that I thought I didn't realize at the time, but I, I learned to, to multitask very well. So I would study on the back of baseball bus. Mm. I fill out my I fill out my application for UT Southwestern on the back of a baseball bus using a flashlight and a pencil when you're supposed to use a pen and have it typed. I mean, or have it typed <laughs> and uh, be all nice and formal. So yeah, no, I learned to study in times where if I had an hour free time in, I was hammering organic chemistry in. So the multitasking nature of baseball, where you have to learn to do lots of things to try and be a baseball player and trying to do academics, that would serve me well in medical school, which was very rigorous, you know, academically. So, yeah. Yeah, no, you, I were, think, I think were, so. you were the college version of Bobby Richardson, right? Like he was. He, or he was, or no, not Bobby Richardson, uh, Bobby, uh, uh, Bobby Brown, right? Oh, Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown. Yeah, like, yeah. He was, he was studying, yeah. he was studying med for medical school on the back of the yeah. bus for the Yankees, playing for the Yankees yes. and studying yeah. for med school. He, he would finish <laughs> medical school or, or finish his last day of the year of medical school. And the next day he's playing, uh, you know, opening day for the, uh, New York, Yankees, <laughs> New York yeah. Yankees. Dr. Bobby Brown had him on a radio show a couple of times. Paris and I did one of our yeah. favorite interviews we ever had. Yogi Berra's roommate, uh, good friends, <laughs> yeah. with Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Yogi Berra just uh, recently passed away. What was he reading? He tells a story. He was reading like like a, an anatomy book or something. And Yogi yeah. was on the other side in his bed reading a comic book. And Yogi finished and goes, that was great. How does yours turn out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Several of those stories. Yeah, he was awesome. He was incredible. Yeah, he Bobby was a cardiologist was a and baseball player. Yeah, Bobby Richards was a great, a great New York Yankee, too, second baseman, good Christian man. And he actually coached mm -hmm. down at uh, Arkansas, uh, South Carolina, Arkansas? South Carolina, South Carolina. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's considered the he's considered the grandfather of South Carolina uh, baseball. Baseball. That's he, yeah. He took that program, made it a world, you know, world renowned. I had totally forgotten that because I had Ed Lynch on this uh, Pottercast and uh, he went to college there. And I forgot yeah. that Bobby oh, yeah. Richardson was, yeah. his, he, was his He would know him for sure. Yeah, Bobby Richardson in South Carolina is like, he, they treat him like a demigod, man. He's, yeah, he's yeah. awesome. What, what was it about, about, I mean, did you always like science in high school and everything? Or what? why did you decide to go into medical school? 
Interesting story. My dad, my dad didn't finish high school. So my brothers and I are the first one to ever go to college. Actually, the first ones to finish high school in that family. So we went to, mm. we finished high school. We go on to college. So my dad was so big on education. I had a chance yeah. to get drafted out of, uh, go play professional baseball out of uh, high school. And he was so big on academics. He really convinced me that going to college would be the better route. So I'm glad he did. And uh, so dad was, I was telling him I was interested in doing something in the sports field, no matter what it was, if it wasn't playing baseball with something in the sports field. And I said, I'd like to be maybe, maybe consider because, you know, the only thing I knew, no one in my family had ever been a doctor. My dad was a construction worker and a bivocational pastor. And uh, so I didn't know anything about being a medic in the medical field. In fact, some funny stories about how little I did know, but he um, said, why, why would, because I said, I would consider being an athletic trainer. He goes, man, that seems like a great field, but I think you have the potential to be a physician. If you're going to do something in the medical field, why don't you be a physician? First time I'd ever had that thought in my head. I never even thought of it. And I was like, wow, hmm. if I am going to go to the medical field. Why don't I, why don't I go ahead and do like dad said, and try and be a doctor. And so yeah. I just started trying to figure out what that took and what that would look like while trying to play baseball and figured it out and was fortunate enough and blessed enough to get in. Yeah. So, so do you think being that busy and, in, in uh, I mean, you were super busy, right. And playing baseballs, mm -hmm. doing all the studying, did that kind of prepare you for what the rigor of medical school or was it even, even more, even worse? I always tell people this, my hardest class in college was biochemistry and uh, biochemistry was a full year that in college, my first class in uh, medical school is biochemistry uh, 101. We take biochemistry in that first test of medical school we covered my entire biochemistry course in college and we were moving <laughs> on baby so that's the difference it wasn't that the uh information was like more difficult to learn there was just a massive amount of it and they they wanted to see if you could take information in large amounts figure it out and do well enough to be successful in a stressful situation it, I, I think it was less about med look, medical school to me was less about actually what I learned that I eventually used, though some of that, obviously some of it's practical, but a lot of it was just trying to figure out, could you tolerate the stressful situation? Could you could you take a lot of information? Because that's what you do from patients, right? You'll have, I don't know, at my max, I've seen like 70 patients a day. You'd see mm -hmm. the, you'd get a bunch of information and you gotta, you gotta assimilate it really fast, figure out a solution to it, come up with the best plan and try and make that happen. And I felt like medical school, just, they were just trying to figure out if you could do that. If not, they wanted to weed you out. Yeah, are they're, they're, they just intentionally trying to weed you out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no question. Yeah. I mean, is no, that – looking back now, I mean, when you're in it, you're just, like, trying to survive, I'd imagine, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, you're trying to survive, yeah. You're just trying to get to the next day, right? Yeah, <laughs> get yeah, some sleep, yeah. Get some food. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But after – when you look back after practicing all these years, do you go, gosh, they, they really didn't have to do it that way. There's a better way to do this. Yeah, you know, because they have changed it since I was in. You know, I was in the era where there was no rules on how many hours you could work. So we routinely worked 120, 140 hours a week. We worked every third night, every day, no holidays off, no weekends off. So you worked every day, you know, Sunday through Saturday. And then every third night, you worked all night. So, you know, mm. you, and when I say you worked a day, I usually was in the hospital by like 5 a.m. I, I would leave around. I don't know, 7 p.m. was a regular day. And then every third night, I just stayed all night. So, yeah, no, now they've changed it. Now they've limited it to 80 hours. And so some of those, I remember having conversations with my attending physicians back then. I'm like, why are we doing this? I mean, I don't understand. This doesn't seem healthy. I mean, I fell asleep standing up one time doing rounds. I was asleep up against the wall. And I was like, what how can you, how can you treat patients when you're that? It was tired? difficult. I mean, you got, you oh, my God. Stuff. I mean, sleep deprivation, if you don't, if, if you've never done it, and this is why the SEALs use it to try and break people mentally, because sleep deprivation is, 
it changes your persona. It changes your underlying personality. It's like, mm. you know, you're probably working at some capacity line as if you were intoxicated with alcohol. I don't know if there have been ever been a study done at how bad sleep deprivation is for your ability to function. But the only reason I feel like you're able to kind of get through those really tough situations because it was such a stressful situation. I always, people say, how'd you do it in the middle of the night? And I said, if someone called you at 3 a.m. and said, if you don't come take care of this patient right now, they're going to die. I mean, you can, you can figure out the stress levels get pretty high and you can go figure out how to take care of that patient. Yeah. Now, are you going to have the same empathy you would if you weren't sleep deprived? Probably not. So there's, it was, it was, a, it was a tough racket, but I think eventually uh, there were enough deaths of residents driving home and enough bad things that happened to patients that finally, I think Congress uh, back um, about about 15 years ago now decided the 80 hour work week was, was it, that was all you could work. Was the so, max. That's still mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Still yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I'd be about halfway to what we did. Yeah. So how did you decide what, to, I mean, did you always know you wanted to do something in sports? Cause you were a physiatrist, right? Like, did you always yeah. know you wanted yeah. to do something in sports or did you just kind of figure it out as you went? Yeah. And I was like most, I didn't know much about medical school residency. I didn't know all that. In fact, I get into medical school and I'm at my first meeting at UT Southwestern. It's one of the top medical schools in the nation. It's amazing. I got in there. It's another funny story, but how God worked. But well, I, uh, t- tell us the story. How'd, how'd you get in there? Okay. So I'm uh, filling out, I, I, I fill out an application on the back of a baseball bus. It's at night. So I'm having one of my teammates hold a flashlight while I'm trying to write in these little spaces, all the stuff in there. So I send in my application thinking, this oh, is like I, what, I, like 1990, 1988. Yeah. It would have been 19. I started 91. So it'd been like 1990. Yeah. 19, okay. Yeah. So folks, you didn't, it wasn't online. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't go, online. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So I send it in and uh, I don't hear anything back. And Finally, I hear something back and someone along the way said, uh, uh, that's like the top medical school in Texas, probably the top three in the uh, world. I'm like, wow, I had no idea. I just wanted to get into it because I had a brother that lived close by and I thought it'd be nice to have a brother close by in Dallas and that's where it's at. So (laughs) anyway, so I get an interview and I'm like, holy cow, I got an interview. And so I go and I have this interview and I'm I'm, I'm so nervous because I I really know nothing medical. You know, I'm, I'm not from a medical family. I don't have any medical experience. I'm just like, Oh man, what am I going to get asked here? So the guy that goes in before me for an interview, he's all sweating because they just asked him something called the Krebs cycle, which I knew from medical, from uh, pre-med as, but I'm like, I, I can't name the Krebs cycle. If someone asked me that question, I'm done, man. I'm like totally done. So I go in, I get, you have different, there's different physicians that interview you. My first guy, super nice guy finds out I played baseball. We talked baseball for an hour. For an <laughs> yes. hour Ferris. I mean, he wanted to know, he was so interested in baseball. He just wanted to know about all kinds of baseball stuff. So I was like, great. And so you have two interviews. So my next interview, I'm like, well, that one went well. I, hope they, I guess the next guy is going to ask me a bunch of medical questions. So I walk in there. This guy finds out I went to college. I was at Hardin Simmons University, which is located in West Texas in Abilene, Texas. And I'm, and I'm an avid hunter. I love hunting. And he finds out that I'm from Abilene. He goes, I'm a big time dove hunter. Do you dove hunt? I said, yeah, we talked hunting for an hour. <laughs> I did. And so those guys are so bored talking medical. They're yes, like, let's talk about something else. Exactly. So we talked hunting and baseball and I get my deal and I got in and it was just a blessing. So I just, man, it was awesome. But yes, yeah, well, I think that's, I mean, I'm going to pause, but I'm going to, I'm going to get back to the question. I think that that's a good thing um, for, for people out there, kids out there, students out there looking number one, you were able to have a conversation for an hour about yeah. something other yeah. than what you were going yeah. in for. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's important. Yeah. You have to be able to relate to people, but then number two, 
it's good to have not to be so focused on one thing. You need to live life because we when I was with the youth orchestra, one of the guys that worked there, his son had a very similar story. He played youth orchestra his entire high school mm-hmm. and in college. He applied to med school and he went in and one of his interviews. Now, the one interview they talked about, the one interview, the guy loved classical music. They talked yeah. classical music for yeah. an hour because yeah. they 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 everybody's really smart. They, they they found you interesting. So I think that's important yeah. for people. You got to have a life. You got to be able to. <laughs> yeah. Because what you're doing really as a physician, really, you're talking to people, you're engaging people in a conversation about them. So I think that's what if I had to look back mm. in time, those guys and they were both older physicians. And I think they were just like, can this guy just have a conversation about something other than medical? So I think for me, it worked out great. and I loved it. But yeah, to your point, I think being well-rounded serves you well in life. I mean, you and I have talked about this, like uh, even in sports, uh, I think it's in travesties what happened with our kids as far as them just playing one sport solely. Now, I just don't, I, I just like the multi-sport athlete, which is becoming the, you know, the rare, rare bird because, because there's just not enough spots to go around. But I think how we grew up Ferris, where you were wrestling and playing baseball and I'm playing football and basketball and baseball, that, that was just a better way of doing things. I think it made us more well, well-rounded. Yeah, and I think uh, we talk about it all the time on Docs and Jocks, and we talk about it with every coach we've ever talked to said they like multi-sport athletes better than the guys who are singly focused. But they all say, hey, when you get to a certain level, we get yeah. it. You need to specialize yeah. when you're on that. You know, when when I think yeah. as somebody said, when Tom Izzo and John Calipari are at your basketball practice, maybe yeah. you should just focus on basketball. Yeah. But I, think that, that time, I, think was, I think it was Dan Marley said that. Too. Yeah, and until that time, play because he played baseball. He played baseball his first two yeah. years. Of college at Central Michigan, loved baseball. It's his favorite sport. But then he got a call saying, "Hey, we want you to travel to the Olympic team." And he's like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe I should focus. just focus on, on lock it in." Right why, why do you? Why do you think? I mean, I sometimes I think it's it's fear. Like I, I think people are afraid if they're not so focused and pick one thing and just get their thousand, ten thousand hours in as quick as possible, they're going to get left behind. Yeah, I think so. I think people nowadays feel like they have they if they don't like only play that sport, like they'll get left behind. Or if you're not playing that sport in the summer travel ball because you're out doing something else or whatever, you're gonna be left behind. I just always knew that I was a better basketball player because I played football because I was okay with being aggressive under the boards. Mm, it just was, that was that was nothing compared to football, right? And football was better at playing wide receiver because basketball taught me how to cut and move quickly, right? Baseball teaches you how to do how to think ahead and it's such a strategy game. You're always thinking three or four steps ahead, like how to get an advantage. And so that helps in every sport. And it's just, I just love the fact that we played every sport when we were growing up. And it's, I, I, I'm sad for the kids that just solely get pegged into one thing. I think they, I just know that when I went to college and played baseball, there was a part of me that said, wow, I want to change. I just, this is, I love baseball, but this is the eight to 10 hours a day is a grind. And it is a grind. Yeah. You talk to any big leader, they'll tell you it's a grind if you get them alone. Yeah. Yeah. The baseball is absolutely a grind. I think it's also true of that. I mean, so many kids that aren't athletes though, but, but they're, they're academicians or whatever, and they just get so focused on academics, 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 and they're never outside doing anything else. And so yeah. they become really one dimensional. So they can't, yeah. they can't ever have that conversation because the guy goes, yeah. Oh, do you hunt? And they go, no, I study, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then, then, the, then the conversation gets really boring. I mean, I, I, I feel I just feel like we have this uh, specialization attitude and it served America well because we've developed some really amazing things with specialization. But you also you, you pay a little bit of a price, too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And that's why we've talked about, I think, the multi-sport athlete and athletics in general teach you so many good things in life. Like you can still be a good academician and play sports. It's going to take a little bit more effort. But if you learn how to do that, it'll serve you well the rest of your life when you're doing your job. But you still have to, you know 
juggle a family. I mean, there's, you're yeah. always going to have multiple things. You're never in life going to be doing one thing. So I always thought like sports taught me that growing up. And so, the, so I, I cut you off because I wanted to hear that story. How you get in? So, how did you decide about being a, a you know, a, a physiatrist in sports medicine? Yeah. So, uh, for first of all, physiatry is uh, physical medicine and rehabilitation, and it's a it's conservative care. In other words, non-surgical care of musculoskeletal injuries in athletes. So, I take care of knees, hips, shoulders. I'm in charge of, like the rehab after surgeries. I'm in charge of diagnosing ahead of time. I do electrodiagnostic medicine, which I check nerves and make sure that they're working okay. So, there's a big that's a small field called physical medicine rehabilitation. There's mm. a bigger field called orthopedics, which I didn't know about physiatry when I first went out. I first went to medical school, like everybody who wants to do athletics, I wanted to be the orthopedic surgeon. And so mm. we just, I went into that field or went to medical school thinking that's where I was probably headed. And, and then I realized that I didn't necessarily like the surgical part of it, but I love the uh, taking care of the athlete, helping figure out a diagnosis. I enjoy that kind of that discovery part of it. And then mm -hmm. the rehab part of it. And so I just went into physiatry because I just like it was better suited to my psyche of how I how I think about things. So what what is a typical? I mean, I, I'm, I keep saying you were, you still are. You just sold your practice. And you're doing something yeah. different now. But what was a typical day for you like once you started your practice when you had your own practice there? In yeah, Italy? yeah. So we started a practice called uh, Texas Sport and Spine, and I I would see I had two physician assistants. There's so like. They're my helpers. They can see patients with me, and, but they'll see like a new patient, but then they'll come out and tell me about them and I'll go in and see the patient with them. But it speeds your day up. So they're kind of like assistants. And so um, I had two of those and we would see together. I would see my own patients. I would see theirs with them. And I would see about 70 patients a day in clinic. And so that would wow. be anything from a follow-up of a procedure they'd had, uh, setting up a, a physical therapy rehab program for them, diagnosing a brand new knee injury. I was a team physician. I've been, I've been a team physician probably for about, I don't know, altogether about 20 different universities and, um, professional. And then I had professional teams for a period of my career. And then I've had, uh, high schools and taking care of too many accounts. Did you do schools. like a bull riding thing too? Like, yeah, you, yeah. I remember you yeah. did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did that with my, one of my, our good friend, uh, on docs and jocks and Ferris and I's good friend outside of docs jocks is a guy named Brandon Hawkins. Hawk is an athletic trainer, but he was also my producer of Docs and Jocks the Radio Show. But he would go with me every year, and we would uh, be the team. When the rodeo would, professional rodeo riders would come, bull riders would come to Abilene, we would be the team medical uh, team physicians. So, so we what kind of injuries did you see with those guys? Oh, man, I did it for about 20 years. So I saw dislocated elbows, um, of course, concussions, several, several concussions every time we went, um, hand injuries. Saw a couple of pretty bad knee injuries, backs, you name it. It's just sitting, yeah. getting thrown. And, and we wouldn't just see that. We saw the bareback riders too. Those guys get really bad whiplash concussions. I, I underestimate oh, yeah. trauma to their neck. Yeah, they they go back so far, they black out. I never Are you that. serious? Yeah, they black out. They, a lot of them do. When they're getting whipped <laughs> on bareback, going all the way back, when you see that cowboy jerk his head back and snap it back, yeah. oftentimes go just momentarily. They black out momentarily. And that's why they're tied in so tight. So they try and hold on while they're blacked out. So then they wake up, they can still hang on. Yeah. Those guys get really bad injuries. Do you, I mean, you, you were, you were, you started back in the day when, you know, and you, you played high school football back in the day when, you know, if you didn't feel good, they would either say rub some dirt on it or, you know, get your, a drink of water. Rung, and your bell rung, you got your bell rung, rung and get back yeah. in the game, you know, smelling yeah, salts, whatever. Game. Yeah. And you went all the way through the whole concussion thing where, where, where we learned a lot of more about concussions. We understood the severity of them and we've tried to, you know, fix things and stuff. I mean, is that the biggest change medically you've seen in your career or are there some other things that were like, you started one way and then it was like, oh man, we got to, 
we got to drastically change how we how we do these things. Yeah, no, probably it's the biggest if you just take where I started, where I went. I mean, now the uh, obviously scopes have changed the world about of uh, sports medicine surgically, how quick and easy and less anatomy Mm. you disturb during surgeries. I think the microinvasive nature of surgeries has probably been pretty high on the list of changes. Uh, I think how we use pain medicines has probably been a pretty big change. You know, used to be, it was pretty free, free for all and you gave them out <laughs> right. free. Now you can, you know, everything like is, so, everything is pretty scrutinized, especially at professional yeah. levels. Even now that used to be a pretty common thing that you would, you know, give out pain medicines on plane rides and stuff like that. Crazy stuff. And then uh, probably concussions because concussions, you were very much a, uh, it was just very subjective. Like there was, yeah. If they said they want to go back in, you held their helmet for 20 minutes. You kind of did some neurological testing before and after and put them back in. But now it's like if you had a concussion, you're done. We know that that, that we know that microtrauma to your brain, even if no matter how small of a brain injury it is, is a pretty big deal, you know, cumulatively. So we just hold them out. And so it made made my life, oh my gosh. As a football team physician for years, as soon as you diagnose a concussion, you're out. That made life so much easier. Oh my gosh. Well, the like coaches didn't like you, but the <laughs> yeah, I went from me being the bad guy. Like you know, you hold out someone's quarterback because they have a concussion, and the quarterback's screaming that they want to go back in. You're the only guy holding them out. Yeah, the the, the coaches now you 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 made yourself the bad guy. Whereas once they've had a concussion, everyone knows that we're on the same playing field. If you have a concussion, you're done for the game. It doesn't matter if your quarterback, whoever it is, it's the rule is just the rule. So there's no longer this, yeah, almost like stink eyed look to you, you know, because you're not yeah. not letting the best player go back in. Yeah, you you brought up the surgery thing too. That is interesting because I remember when you know you know um um an ACL that that oh. was that was that was a year you know ending most of the time yeah a year yeah your leg and maybe was never away and you're in a cast and it was terrible. yeah you weren't the same even if no. you came back you weren't the same and now yeah. what did Adrian Peterson do like four months or something like that yeah some some come back like six weeks some ridiculous it's number crazy. Yeah, Still probably too soon because you haven't let the scaffolding kind of right. take a hold yet. But yeah, no, they come back so much faster, like in, within months. And then what what did you think about the Tommy John surgery? I mean, was it, when did that happen? Was it happening? I know you worked with uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Andrews a bit. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Houston trained Dr. Andrews and they, they were big on the, obviously the Tommy John's type surgery. The Tommy John surgery is where you have your ulnar collateral ligament on the inside of your elbow. It becomes ruptured and you do a surgery that goes in and basically gives you a new tendon there that stabilizes the uh, medial elbow. So yeah, that we actually, uh, Ferris, you and I interviewed, uh, was it Frank Job? Who would we yeah. interview? Like, Oh no, we interviewed Tommy we John. Interviewed Tommy John. Yeah. Tommy John. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting to hear his story, how that very first surgery went with Frank, Dr. Uh, Frank, Frank Job, who's a legend in the orthopedic world, but no, that was a, a game changer that took an injury that ended your career or caused you to be so severely, um, less effective as a pitcher and now they can, can pitch now they a lot of times come back better and you know i've talked about why that is but it's so that yeah. that changed so so many injuries where it would have been either a long-term you know fight to get back now it's relatively you're going to get back kind of very predictive of when you're going to get back at an early stage and what you're going to be able to do and many times even being better than you were yeah and and we're seeing kids get this now i mean it used to be you know if you had a, a an arm injury you know, when you were in high school or something, you had to switch positions, do some. We're seeing a lot of kids get get D one scholarships and go to college and maybe rehab even their first year. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it's um, sad, but they, yeah. it's not. It's, you're not done. Yeah, you know? no. It gives them hope and it gives them uh, the ability to come back. And coaches don't discount that they can come back and be even better. 
we've talked a lot about arm injuries with a good friend, Ron Wolforth down at the Texas baseball ranch. And Ron is just a, he's, he's in my mind, the uh, foremost throw overhead throwing coach in the world, but he can, I learned a lot of him from him as far as the mechanics of why do you get those types of injuries early on? And so if I had a son that was a pitcher, if anybody's listening to this and you have a son that is a overhead throwing athlete in the young age, I would get him to a place like the Texas baseball ranch and have him evaluated for the mechanics as sitting out when your arm hurts and you come back and do the same thing, it makes no sense, none. And so yeah. I hear that all the time. I had that discussion. I probably have it once every two weeks with somebody that just starts telling me about, you know, their, their injury or their kid's injury. But I had this, uh, Thanksgiving break and they were just like, yeah, my son's uh, shoulder and elbow are hurting him. We're going to sit him out, you know, for, we're going to sit him out for four weeks to make sure he's okay when he comes back. I'm like, are you going to change anything about when he comes back? How he throws the mechanics, how evaluated it? No. And I said, we're just going to come back. I mean, why would it not? Now you've just made him yeah. weaker and now they're coming back with the same mechanical issue. So, yeah. Yeah. You got to change something or you're going to get the same results. That's interesting. Yeah. I think we've, uh, figured that people out, think that way. Oh yeah. I think we figured out too over time with, uh, most sports like overhead throwing athletes, that's that's probably been a big change too. We understand the mechanics. And what really happened for us is over the years we've had video. You know, now now we every kid watches himself pitch, every kid watches himself hit. Yeah. We didn't grow up that way. You just hit and if you had good results, you tried to figure out what you did to have good results. You didn't have a lot of video to watch. And now they all with with the uh ascent of all the video, we can really break down what the elite pitchers do differently than those who get injured or not elite. And mm -hmm. so I think that's the mechanics of you name it, whatever sport it is, we can pretty much break them down and give you a pretty good idea if you're going to have an injury risk or not. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I was just thinking about the, the concussions, but you brought up a lot of other, other good ones. It's interesting. We still, we still, um, you know, for a lot of the centers around baseball, if you have a UCL or whatever, you're like, okay, we can probably fix that and we can probably throw as good or better. Not always, but mm -hmm. we can, you know, and it's a long pride ACL, all that stuff. The shoulder is still, man, if you have a shoulder issue, we still haven't gotten that magic bullet one yeah. surgery fix all for the shoulder. Why, why is that? It's the nature of the joint. It's such an unstable joint to start with. You have so many more range of motions. I said, it's like a, you know, it's like a, the movement of the ball of your shoulder allows you to scratch the back of your head with your hand. You can't scratch the back of your rear end with your foot, right? The hip joint is a much more, stable locked in joint so the unsteady nature of the shoulder joint the glenohumeral joint is uh, just what causes it to be so difficult to get back to the same level of function you were before the injury happened so if you tear something if you uh, dislocate something if you uh, rupture uh, uh, one of your tendons it, it's just it, it's a longer harder rehab course because you're trying to stabilize a joint that was unstable in a way to start with so mm -hmm. it just, so you like the classic one is you dislocate your shoulder. Like uh, we had a state championship uh, pitcher that I worked with that dislocated his shoulder. And uh, when he came, he dislocated it playing football and he came back and he was trying to play baseball and, you know, he did all the surgery, did everything correctly, but his, his being able to spot up was different, right? Just think about the tiny little nuances in the shoulder that if it's just a little off, your control varies, right? And it's just, mm -hmm. a, I mean, it's hard to have control in the first place. But right, then right. if you get a little bit of a change in that unstable joint, it makes it very difficult. So that's why shoulders are so difficult at rehab. Yeah. So um, how long ago was it that you uh, you sold your practice and moved? So so sold my practice in uh, 2019. So I've been uh, been doing uh, been out of the sports medicine gig for about two and a half years. And now doing neuromonitoring? 
now I now I'm in the neurosurgical field and I monitor neuro neurosurgical cases. I monitor the brain waves and spinal cord waves during the surgeries. And I talk to my neurosurgical colleagues during the surgery and let them know what's going on. So did when did you when did you become aware that that was even a career opportunity or a field? Oh, so, yeah. Good question. So I did um, I did interventional spine as part of my sports medicine practice. I would do I would implant things called spinal cord stimulators or might have heard of those or I would do uh, procedures where I would cauterize small, tiny nerves that come off the spine so they wouldn't stop causing pain to where they were going. So anyway, I was doing all of those interventional spine procedures and I started using neuromonitoring during those procedures. And so I had a tech in the room who would hook mm -hmm. my patients up. That tech would then send the information off to a physician who was interpreting that information. And then they would let me know if there was something going wrong before it actually caused an impairment in the patient. Does that make sense? So I yeah. knew of it. And then I started just thinking when I was getting ready to sell my practice, like I got to do something when I'm when I sell all this. And so I started thinking about doing that and I just uh, learned a new field and I've just enjoyed it. I really, I love, I love the freedom of it. And I, I really love the day to day still being involved with uh, surgeons and still making a difference in patients' lives. Do you miss uh, running your own practice? Well, there's parts I do parts. I don't, I mean, uh, man, we had, I, I think there at the end, we had about 50 something employees and, uh, it wasn't just that I ran a sports medicine practice. I, I was uh, obviously the owner of the sports medicine practice, but I had other physicians, other physician assistants underneath me, but I had a, a full physical therapy clinic, had a, a chiropractic clinic that worked inside my office. A great guy named Dr. Tim Melton, who's been on our show, mm. um, yep. had a um, sports training facility that we had inside the building that ran a full-time sports training facility. So if the athletes come to your facility, the idea is that if they were ever to get injured, they know where to go. So they come to you. We had a nutritional uh, restaurant there inside of it. We did the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine radio show. I had an imaging center, a surgical center. Golly, I don't know. I think it was all together like 13 businesses or something like that when I decided to get out. So it was running all that. It was, it was a lot. Uh, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I both loved it and uh, I'm enjoying I'm It's like the it. shoulder joint. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on. So I, I, I loved being in it, the day-to-day -day craziness of it, but there was I, I really like my life now. I really do. They're, they're so different that I I love both. Yeah. yeah I, I think back about it sometimes. I think, how did I do, how did I do that? Yeah. And you were a big it, part it, of that, Ferris, because you were on the radio show with me. So every Friday, yeah. Ferris and I would do like a four-hour get-together and loved it, man. <laughs> Talking all week it, about what we're going to do on the show. If you haven't, I'm going to ask Dan for advice now for if a kid came up to him. But if you haven't, if you haven't learned this yet with Dan, Dan tends to uh, live his life by getting an idea, deciding he wants to do it, and then figuring it out. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. You nailed that, man. I want to go to medical school. How are you going to do it? I don't know. I guess I'll just fill in an application. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Why that school? I don't know. My brother lives there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My wife asks me the why question a lot, and I, and I, I she's learned that uh, I don't always know the why. I don't. I just, that's just not the way my brain thinks. You know so. what you want to do. You don't know why you want to do it, but you know what you want to do. Yeah. 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 Like, I, I mean, in some ways, that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but it sounds so simple too. Mm -hmm. I have an interest. I want to do it. So I'll just do it and I'll figure it out. I mean, so, so Dr. Dan built a baseball field in his backyard. Oh, yeah. 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 His, his Full size farm. baseball field. Yeah. You had bees. Yeah. You had a winery. Yeah. Uh, what else? What am I missing? What else have you done? Uh, that we did those a, those uh, are the we big had, three that I remember. We had a baseball. We made uh, wooden baseball bats back in my back back barn. We made a we had a baseball bat company. Why? Um, I just thought it was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed interesting. It seemed very interesting at the time. So I don't know. I don't know. 
But yeah, no, those are all real things. Yeah, full size baseball field. We used to have little league baseball games back there when they get rained out on these city fields and come play on my field. So love it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so so uh, a, a youngster comes up to you and says, "Doctor Dan, you're wildly successful as a physician. I think I want to be a doctor. What advice do you give him?" I always say this, and you and I have talked about this a lot in the past. I, I truly feel like if uh, you feel like it's what you want to do and you're good at it, there's no reason not to go for it. I've, I've always uh, asked the question. I've never, people always say like, because I haven't been financially successful as well, but that isn't, was never my target or never my thought process of this is what I want to do because it makes me money. I think that would be, uh, for me, I just don't, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't get me up in the morning. So I, I just found things that I thought I would be good at. Like I was good at the science classes when I was playing baseball at Grand Canyon. I just realized I liked human anatomy. I liked biology. Mm. And I thought, well, if I like those classes, I'm obviously going to like something that leads to, what does that lead to? And I had a discussion with my dad about that could be a doctor. So I went into that field. So I think anything you do, if your heart is in it and you really feel like that's something you're good at, like, Fair sure an actor. I mean, you did that because you enjoyed doing that in college. You loved it in college because you were so you know, good at it and gifted at it. I went and saw Paris, by the way, do King Lear. That's how good friends we are. I'm, 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 <laughs> you saw half of it. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I think I slept through Pirates of the Penzance. I think I stayed awake for Lear. I get, oh, I, I, well, I get them mixed wow. up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So I, uh, but if you love it and you're good at it, then that's what you pursue. Then I think you'll always be, you'll have success at it. I think it's how you define success too. I, I don't define success as being financially good at it, but define success if I feel like I'm doing what I was created to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I feel like that's where I, where, and I'm, you and I are both Christians, so I can tell you, but if I feel like I'm in God's will, I, I don't really judge my success by anything other than am I doing what he called me to do? And I think he's going to call you to do what you, feel led to do as far as what he's gifted you with. And yeah. I felt like I could do, I had the ability for whatever reason, I was gifted intellectually to get through medical school, which was rigorous. And um, I, my mind is always one of always been inquisitive, always been inquisitive. I think that would, I would tell somebody young to always be asking the questions. My parents called me the kid with a thousand questions because I just always would hammer people with questions. Like we would have missionaries come to my house because my dad was a pastor and my mom was in the what was called women's missionary union and the few Baptists out there. That yeah, WMU. But we would have missionaries come stay with us every month. And so I ha I'm in this little bitty town and we have people coming from all over the world to stay with us. And it was such a great experience. And I hammered them with questions. My mom would be finally like, you can tell him enough. So I, but that was, I'm always inquisitive. I love people's stories. That's why yeah. you and I, you and I, you're definitely that way too. But that's why I think you and I enjoyed Docs and Jocks. We always enjoyed, we had three guests a week and we would just like ask all these people all these great questions that we would, wanted to ask him and find out about other people, but always be inquisitive about other people. I actually believe that so much that I stopped hiring people that they never asked a question about uh, anything other than they were just talking about themselves the entire time and never asked a question about you. Like these kind of interviews for me yeah. are not, I'm, this is not my comfort zone. My comfort zone is if I'm asking Ferris a thousand questions, right? So this is very unusual for me. So yeah. Yeah. But, but That's interesting. So you would actually, when you're hiring somebody, if they were just so focused on them selling themselves, that type of thing, it didn't say, Hey, tell me about your practice. Tell me what you're looking for. Tell me how you got into this. If they ask that, you're like, Oh, this might be somebody I want to, I want to work with. hundred percent. Because really what I figured out over time of hiring wrongly and hiring poorly and then hiring correctly and hiring well, I learned the difference was, is that you really, what you were looking for, no matter what the position you're looking for a team player, right? You're looking for someone who wants to build the brand, who wants to be part of a team and make it grow and be better. 
you want a self-starter. Well, very few self-starters ever are self-centered. Think about it. Like if you're truly narcissistic and you're self-centered, do you really care about the entity you're trying to grow and the, and the business you're trying to grow? And that's what you're trying to do as the owner. You're trying to bring on people that are team players. And so for me, a team player is always going to be interested in who am I playing for? Who is the coach of this team? Mm-hmm. What is our goal, right? So I just felt like if they never asked in during the interview anything about myself or about the business or about anything outside of telling me about them, I just didn't feel like they were a team player. I don't know if that's right or wrong. There's probably people out there listening right now that's like, well, that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard of, but it worked for me. So, well, and that's that you you mentioned you didn't really go into medicine for money. It seems like a lot of people do because you can make quite a good living as a doctor mm-hmm. or as a medicine. Mm-hmm. Did sure. you start when you when you wanted to start your own practice? Was that that wasn't about money or was money a part of it? Or what was the reason for saying, hey, I want to own my own thing? I had done it two different ways before that. I had done it where I'd been in a group and uh, I had done it where I was in academics, which means you were an employee of a hospital. I just found for me the, the lack of freedom of being able to move quickly was not my forte. So in other words, if I see an issue, I see a problem, like say I didn't have enough imaging, you know, to have my patients taken care of timely. I just wanted to go out and fix that problem by bringing in an imaging center. Well, we need a group, you, you know, you're tied to a lot of those decisions are tied to the larger financial interests of the group or whatever that group feels like. So it's very hard to move quickly. I call it like the army battalion versus the Navy SEAL model. I would, I'm more fit to work in the Navy SEAL model. Small decisions made very quickly for the interest of that individual small group, as opposed to a big group moving very slowly, having to talk about everything. And then you bring in me as an employee and I'm, I'm just a bad employee. So I'm, I'm just better. <laughs> and some people are built that way. Some people would rather have the uh, security of working for somebody and less of the decisions. And I totally get that too. So, yeah, right, right. Did was, was it, I mean, it was a while ago. Were, were you nervous? Were you afraid to start your own thing? Was that because you had done the, the group and then you went to the, 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 the academia and then you went back to the, your own thing, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, there's always a little apprehension when you're signing some loan for, uh, you know, I think my first building loan was, 1.75 million. Yeah. When you sign that and you know, you, you every month you're on the hook for, I don't know, it's 28,000 a month or something I had to pay. I don't know what it was. Some ridiculous number. Yeah. That, that part's, uh, that part's a little nerve wracking, but really what you're betting on your, you're betting on yourself. And so I feel, I felt like, and I think this is where sports come in too. I think you were talking about this earlier. Like, do you feel that competitive nature of sports helped, you know, in baseball, you, you always, are trying to prove that you're good enough to earn the starting position. You're good enough to earn a scholarship. You're good enough to be, you know, the, the player that doesn't ride the bench. And so I felt like, you know, that was just another situation. Well, I can prove myself. I've done it in the past. I can prove myself in business as well. So I'm going to bet on myself. And I, if I'm my, if my model works, the main thing about it working is patients come to see me. So, I mean, I have to be mom, my top game. And I think everything starts from the top and works down. So when you hire good people and they you're telling them your vision and they work for you, they'll kind of take on your persona. So like we were always moving forward, like everyone in my clinic knew we were going to be doing things, adding things, moving quickly, changing things to just to adapt. So that I think that's what what allowed us to be successful. And you really I mean, you can have a really good boss for a long time that gives you a lot of freedom. But unless you actually yeah. own it, you can't have that ultimate freedom. Yeah. Yeah. True. So that's why I think I would like the model I went into where I had my own clinic and 
I had physicians that worked for me and then I had physician assistants that worked for me. And I just like that model where we can move quickly. Would I had you, a small so would you group be of against, people. Would you be against like, would you advise against partnerships or would you just say, Hey, Man. take your time with it or just no, it depends on the person. I couldn't have done it right out of school. I couldn't have done it right out of uh, medical school. I just didn't have the financial freedom to do it. So I think there's a time in your career where, and everyone's built differently. I know there are people, most of the people in my residency class went on and did, you know, we're in groups or worked for entities. So I'm, I'm become the rare bird. It is harder. It is. I mean, I, I say harder. It's more risk. If you're risk adverse, don't be a solo practitioner, especially in today's model. That's really tough. But if you don't mind risk and you want a larger reward, if you're willing to take the risk, I think that's it. it you just have to kind of like buying stocks. You know, there's those of us who want to be who don't have any risk aversion and we're like buying, you know, crazy stocks that go up and down all the time, where some people just want to buy into the S&P 500 and ride it out, you know. So it's just it's the same thing in business, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So what's next? What's next for you? I know. I mean, you've, how long you, you guys moved to Dallas. How long have you been there now at your place you're at now? Uh, we've been here three years. We moved in uh, two, till two years. We've been here right, two years. We moved in 2020. You've been there two years because you guys mm -hmm. moved from Abilene to the, to the, to the ranch or the farm. And then you moved back. Oh yeah. 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 We moved here, but I was DFW been here about two years. We, we bought oh. a ranch and then the real estate market went crazy and we sold it, but we've been here about six months now. Six months. So, I mean, uh, how much longer are you going to be there? You're... <laughs> I don't know. I love this place. I really yeah. love it. Well, yeah, what's I'm, your next yeah. thing, though? Like, you, you don't you don't have the winery. Oh, you don't have the ball field. Know. You don't have the bees. Like, what are you doing now? You know, I'm always looking into different ideas. And here's my latest one. I'll just tell you that. I mean, this is just my thought. I don't. I have done nothing other than just been studying about it. But you're you're into this. You'll like this. I haven't even told you this one yet. But I've been <laughs> Can, reading wanna, about it. You want to share it with everybody? Did somebody yeah, steal your it. idea? Okay. Oh yeah, they they still have to do it. There's still a lot of work. So, but um, I think we're. I think honestly, I think uh, there are some brilliant, brilliant minds looking into longevity. And what I mean by longevity is living a better quality of life for longer. So it is not unlikely. I should say unlikely. It's not impossible that you and I could live to be 150 and have a decent quality of life. I mean, that's how far it's come. There are guys, yeah. there are really, really smart guys, like incredibly smart, that have figured out basic pathways of aging. What causes us to age? And once you know the pathway, once you know the keys to what causes aging, now it's no longer just like randomly trying. Now you're trying to you have something to measure against how well you can you know, not stop aging, but slow it down to the point that you have a good quality of life for a long time. They're already injecting like genetic codes into like mice that clean their DNA. You know, one of the reasons you age is your DNA gets methylated and it gets lots of things happen to it. But you can inject genetic codes in that basically tell that cell to be normal again. And it cures like blindness in mice. It's ridiculous what they're doing right now. So wow. I've, I've thought about doing uh, some, something like that on the side where I look in. Right now, I love the job I'm doing working in the neurosurgical field. But if I was going to do something like go out and start something again, I'd probably look into the longevity because I think it's going to be where we're all going. If you look at our society right now, we're aging you know, faster than, you know, or we have more of an age population than we have young population and it's only going to get probably bigger. And, um, I think that people are really, really interested in looking at how do you improve your not only quantity, but quality of life during that quantity. So if you, if well, we you're going to need something to do, if you're going to live another hundred years. Yeah. And you can work. And then that's what I'm saying. I'm talking about good quality of life. You could, you yeah, could not just hanging on. 
no, like you could still work. I mean, you could still be an actor, you know, into your 80s, 90s, 100. I mean, good night. Man, you could still go yeah, out and be making student commercials and stuff at 100. Like, broadcasting like, gigs would never come open. We'd have guys doing broadcasting for That's why you need Al to get Michaels in would be on the call for another yeah. 75 years. <laughs> That's why you need to get in now, Ferris. Get in now. Man. Oh, well, we should well, keep building it up. You're already in now. I wish we I wish we could have got Vince Scully into this, you know, oh, kept, kept been around another 75 Jack years. Yeah, been, yeah, yeah. that'd have been nice. But yeah. well, hey, here's what we're gonna do, Dan, because I gotta let you go. You guys are going on a hike and it's been a long conversation. It's been a fun conversation. We we need to have a potter cast. We'll have you and maybe a round table. Maybe you can find a couple of these longevity folks who might be fun yeah. to talk to. We'll get them on and yeah. we'll just do like a little roundtable discussion oh, about it. Man, I, that'd be awesome. I find it interesting too. You guys start talking about Metro method and all this. And I, I'm just like, I don't care about the science on it, but yeah. I like to be around. I like to be around smart people who are interested in things. And then they just tell me what to do. Smart people that's, I trust. That's my idea, by the way. Cause what I'm saying is I would be a sifter. That's what I consider myself. I'm a sifter. Cause you need, yeah, you don't want to go read scientific papers and research papers. They don't make a lot of sense anyway. You want someone to sift through all that and say, okay, this is yours. This is where Michael Potter is currently in life. This is what he's dealing with. He may have a few aches and pains. His joints overall pretty healthy, you know, wants to live another, you know, 40, 50 years where he's super good quality of life. What would be the best route to do that? What slows down the aging process? What allows him to stay and have a good quality of life? Here's the latest data. Here's what you would do. These are the things you would take. These are the molecular agents you would need to have to do that. That's that's what you need. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what, I'm what I need. People would be willing to talk to a physician if they were willing to, to sift through all that for them. Yeah, what you go to an expert for. Yeah, I, I like yeah. to surround myself. Like I, I, I follow politics to a point, and then I just call people I know who follow it more and go, "Hey, tell me about this. What's going on with this?" And then yeah. they tell me, "I go, yeah. okay." And yeah. as it, we used to have to go read it in the newspaper, but now I don't trust any of those. So you I and I are both. Friends. By the way, I learned a new term. Uh, my my friend Ron, Ron Wolforth calls me called me this, but uh, he he said uh, we're mavens, and I said, "What do you mean by that? What's a maven?" He goes, "Yeah, you find people who have a unique quality or talent." And then you learn from them, but you also connect that person to another person because you're always talking to different people who have different talents. Oh, and you're, yeah. That's you're a, a maven? Connect, you're a connector of people. It's called a maven. He calls me the maven. That's what he calls me. So That's good because the first part of the definition sounded like a parasite, but then we connect other people. So that's <laughs> yeah. that, that gets us out of parasitic. Real, what, it does is it, what it does is it, you, 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 and you, you're this too. So I'm saying that you, can, you listen to people, this show, right? This show is your idea to, to do this. So you connect, you find people that have a talent. You like to ask them questions, find out about their story. And then you're very good at connecting different people who need to be connected because you know their different stories because you've listened to them. That's what a maven is. You, you know, and you I, are a net, you're a networker. Yeah, I, I, and I love that. I, I was, you know, you always start, you know, when you're, when you're in career, you start, oh, what do I really want to do? And what do I really enjoy doing? And I, I like making money, right? I mean, everybody likes having money mm-hmm. and having a quality of life that they yeah. want to do. I like to travel my... My family was over in London, you know, seeing Gracie play and I go into Cadence to I like to be able to do that stuff. But I'm like, I really like getting to know people, building relationships and connecting people that don't know each other. And I'm like, wait a minute, everything you're telling me, you got to talk to this guy. He's doing that yes. exactly, too. Yes, and then, yes. and, But but not many people are wired that way. People look I at know. me like I'm a weirdo. I know. You yeah, know, you're, talking just, weirdo. you're talking to a weirdo. You're talking to another weirdo. Yeah. And, and I get nothing. I mean, they think I get nothing out of it. Cause I don't really financially or anything. Cause like I was just, I was just talking to this one lady and, and we came up, you know, I'm helping her with a business idea and another buddy's like, Oh, you should, you should be partners. And I'm like, I, I don't want a piece of it. Like that's her deal. I want to help her with it and connect if, her with people who can help her do it. I don't, I don't want anything from her. Here's the misconception Ferris. Here's your misconception. Everything, everything on that was exactly right. Except 
you yeah. said, I don't get anything out of it. Listen, listen to this. You don't even know this story. So when I was doing Docs and Jocks, I had a radio show for those listeners who don't know. We did a sports medicine radio show. I did it for about five years with a uh, another co-host. He had other obligations, had to leave. And I thought, who of my friends is the best listener that is enjoys talking to people? Immediately, my brain went, boom, Michael Potter. Boom. Like I was like, he's, he's it. If he'll do it, he's got the job. Nobody else. I'm not even talking to anybody else until Ferris says yes or no. So I call you up. You say yes. Just think of all the different people we talked to over the years that we would have never yeah. talked to. So yeah. you say you got nothing out of it, man. You don't see it tangibly, but relationships create those opportunities. Unless you go back and connect the dots, you'll yeah. think I didn't get anything out of it. But absolutely. So yeah, you know your yeah. quality of listening to people and talking to people immediately came to mind. I I, I guess it's the words of Maven, but well, that's word, cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean. I, I think I think what I I mean, I because I I think people would say I don't get anything out of it because like, you know, we connect them and they go do their thing. And if they're wildly successful, there's nothing I I get nothing out of that. And, yeah. But I just really I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Like I, I love yeah. when that yeah. aha, you probably do, too. When I was just I was just with a friend of my of my of my son's. He was like trying to figure out what he wants to do, you know, after he gets his doctor, his master's as he wanted. Blah, blah. And he's a Christian kid. And I'm like. Dude, you should go to this camp that Emma went to this summer. You can yeah, play your, yeah. you can make money, you can meet people. Okay, I'm gonna Emma, talk to your person, you talk to this person. I and I got them all in touch. And I'm like, I like doing that stuff. It's it yeah, gives you, me you may not you know? see anything right now, and it may not re result in anything, but that kid is always gonna remember that you gave him that opportunity. He will always be in your debt. It may not show now. It may not be like this month, this year, five years yeah, now, maybe he's very 15 thankful. years from now. Exactly. He'll always yeah. remember that. So that's funny. Yeah. Maven. I'm gonna have to look that up. Ron Wolfork said that, huh? That's interesting. Yeah. He always, cause I was, up. I was always connecting him with different people. Cause he's, you know, he's, he's a very inquisitive guy too. So he's always coming up with different opportunities stuff. He's like, you're always connecting me with these people, Mutton. You're such a maven. I'm like, what? Did you just call me? Like, <laughs> it doesn't sound good off the tongue. It doesn't. I know. Sound good. It doesn't. Yeah. It's like, are but, we doing this, Ron? Yeah. Are we doing this right now? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. But you are too, Ferris. I'm just. I know your personality. I've known you. Well, it's funny. It's funny. I'll, I'll let you go after this, but it's funny because um, when I, when I was doing the youth orchestra, uh, and I was I was we were trying to build it. We're trying. I'm talking to everybody. I like to like you. I like to throw these ideas out and yeah, see who's yeah. interested and yeah. and be moving forward because that pe people find that interesting. And I had a lot of people that had not that had zero desire with classical music, but they just liked the fact that we were trying something and doing something. They want to be a part. But I but I realized I said you know, I said I said for, to me, and I think it's personally to developing a partnership. I want to spend my time and energy around like minded people. Who I like yeah. to hang out with. Time's too that's short. Really Time's too ends. short. Absolutely. Like I that that's it. Like I, after that, it's well, like like-minded yeah. people. And it doesn't even have to be the same. I mean, we don't have to agree all the time on everything. No. Like-minded mm -hmm. in the sense of just, I don't know. You you know people like that when you see them. You're the Navy SEAL model. That's what I call it. You don't want to be in a big army battalion with a bunch of people who aren't like-minded. You want to be in this little group that has a singular focus that says, we need to move somewhere. I don't know exactly where it is, but we're going to win and we're going to move. That's what you are. So yeah, you're very yeah. much. Well, we're mavens. Up. That's good. I like that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there you go. So, tell, tell Ron, thank you. I'm going to look that up <laughs> okay. and make sure, he's not, make sure he's not lying to us and it really means something totally different. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dan, yeah. thanks. It was a fun conversation, but let's do that. Let's get together and let's okay, do, talk more about that aging because I, I do think that is interesting. So, um, up I, your alley. Yeah. I'm, I, I've always been trying to be more healthy, less for like longevity more for just enjoyment of life right now, you know, yeah. like I want to be able to go on hikes when I'm 70, that yeah. type of stuff. Cause I'm kind of preparing and also be able to go on, like we went hiking with my son and like, I, 
I can go on hikes. I can go whatever, however many yeah. miles you want to go. You know, I think I like you, that, when, the I, when I read thing would be yeah. interesting. When I read this stuff, I think, oh, this is Ferris. This is right up Ferris Alley. I'm drinking bone broth now, by the way. So, yeah, like uh, you, you're the one who first taught me that. So, well, there's the, all the kinds trick of too. Things. We'll have to we'll have to dig into this. I don't want to be 150 if my kids aren't going to be 150 because I don't <laughs> I don't want to have to bury my kids. <laughs> no. So, so yeah, no. So, I, so we got to get everybody on the I'm train. I'm telling you, next next five ten years are going to be really really interesting in this field, yeah. and it could be that we really make some gigantic changes yeah. where wherever you are in life at that time, if you haven't destroyed yourself too much, you can maintain <laughs> it and keep going. So stay healthy and keep doing what you're doing. All right. Hey, thanks, Dan. Appreciate right. the conversation. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Pottercast. Thanks, Michael.